It was a couple of years ago that Pastor Francis Chan was invited to speak to a group of employees at Facebook headquarters. In doing so, he shared about a particularly sobering moment that he had experienced while pastoring a church that he had planted. They had just baptized a guy from a gang. The guy had become a follower of Jesus. They baptized him, and even though he was really involved at first, he soon left the church. Well, one of his friends asked him, hey man, how come you're not at church anymore? To which the guy responded, I really didn't get church. When I got baptized, I thought it was going to be like jumping into the gang, where it's like 24-7, they're my family. I didn't know church was just somewhere you went on Sundays. And Francis Chan said when he heard that, it made him sick. And he adds, the fact that gangs are often a better picture of family than the church of Jesus Christ, I just, I can't live with that. And so the question that I'm bringing to you today is can we? Can we live with that? Do we sometimes live with that? And what if what God really has in mind for his family is something deeper, something more beautiful than what we currently experience? That is what we're going to talk about today. I'm glad that you're here. And speaking of family, I want to do something today in just welcoming really the whole Heart of Life family, maybe in a way that, that we don't often think about on any given uh, gathering time. But I, I want us to welcome a few people today. First of all, there are people every week who for health reasons, some of them for work reasons, can't physically be with us when we gather in a place like this. But every week, they join us online, and I just want to thank you for being with us. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. Thank you for encouraging. We are glad that you are here. Can we welcome them this morning? And then I also want to welcome some folks who serve our country different parts of the world through the military, and you may not know this, but every single week they tune in with us and they listen in, they gather with the Heart of Life Church in heart. We thank you for your service and we welcome you to this gathering. Can we do that today? And then I also today just specifically want to welcome our Adrian campus. Uh, we have in the last months just been working hard toward a move of uh, that campus currently, it still meets on Sunday evenings, but we're moving to Sunday mornings. And in order to do that, we, we have to sometimes be able to use a video message. 
And so we've been working hard on that. And so even though we're still at night, uh, some of that's done by video. And so I just want to say, welcome, Adrian. And we are glad that together we get to be a part of the Heart of Life Church. Can we welcome them? For everybody, I welcome you to Blueprint. That's what we call this. It's a study of the book of the Bible called 1 Timothy, which is a book that the Apostle Paul writes to uh, uh, his really pastoral protege, a young guy named Timothy, who pastors the church at Ephesus. And we haven't looked at this for a couple of weeks, and so I just want to remind you, in chapter 3, we find out the reason for Paul's writing. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Here's how it reads. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church. Everybody say the church. The church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Timothy, here's a blueprint. Here's a blueprint for God's household. This is how people should conduct themselves. This is how it should be structured. This is how it should be built. We're not talking about walls and windows. We're talking about people. Every person who says with their words and with their lives, Jesus is Lord, and I am building my life on the foundation of Jesus. See, at the moment that a person gives their life to Jesus, they're saved. Rescued out of sin and death. Saved not only, though, into a relationship with God, but also into relationships with every other person who has ever made that same profession of faith. In other words, this is what I want us to begin to process today. Knowing Jesus is personal. What I mean by that is nobody else can do that for you, right? Nobody else can make that decision for you. That is a personal decision. It is a personal relationship with Jesus. But listen to me, it is not private. It's personal, but it's not private, because he saves us into a family. And that's what Paul's speaking to Timothy about. It's about the household. It's about the church. And my question is, how can we be sure that what we are experiencing as this local church is really family? How can we know that what we're experiencing is really family and not just some counterfeit expression of it? And so today, we got the words that God gives us through the Apostle Paul in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. We have arrived at chapter 5, and I want you to see a couple of guidelines that Paul gives us in understanding that we're family. Here's how it reads. 1 Timothy chapter 5, let's look at the first couple of verses. Do not rebuke an older man harshly. The more birthdays I have, the more I like that line. (laughs) Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as 
brothers. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So when it comes to the church, being a family, Paul says, here's a couple of guidelines I want to give you. Here's what we got to understand. Be relational. That, that's what the church is supposed to be. Be relational. For example, when you rebuke someone, he says, especially like if it's, if it's an older man, right, then, then, then do that the right way. Do that in an encouraging way. Sometimes correction has to happen because we all do things. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna speak personally. Sometimes I do stupid things. Sometimes we do things that aren't smart and there needs to be correction. But you know what he says? When you correct, there's a right way to do that. There's a wrong way to do that. A part of the way that you know that you're doing it the right way is if you start with this baseline that we're family. So even though you've done something wrong, we're family. Now, sometimes illustrations fall short. And the longer I watch what happens in our culture, I realize that this whole illustration of using the family, it really can be a challenge sometimes with people because we all know the brokenness that can happen in families. We all know the brokenness that can happen in relationships. Take fathers, for example. Our experiences are not all the same. Some of us have fathers that are trustworthy. Some of us have fathers not so much. Some of us haven't had a relationship with our father in years. Others of us in this room wish we had never had a relationship with our father because the one that we did had, well, it was so painful and it was so difficult, we just wish that it never had been. My point is, you, you look across a room like this, the, the number of people who will listen to this message, and we're just all over the place when it comes to just fathers. And so while I realize that that illustration has the potential to break down, my point is, though, even if our experience with family is bad, we know it's not supposed to be that way, right? Even if our experience with, with family has not been good, we know that it's not supposed to be that way. The older we get, the more that we realize family is supposed to mean something. And then when we open our Bibles and we start reading about how God says that, 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 that husbands and wives and parents and children and how families are supposed to interact, and then we read about how our Heavenly Father actually treats us as His kids, then we know family means something. My point is, even though yours may not be perfect, in fact, you might say, no, it's far from perfect, man, it's just fully broken. The point is, you know family is supposed to mean something. Paul says this is about relationships. We're in this together. We're family. I have come to believe that one of the most difficult cultures in the world for us to get this when it comes to the church really might be the one we're living in.
And I know we can have a tendency to say that, but I, I, I really do. And the reason is because in our culture, we typically don't have a starting point of community. In our culture, in America, we have a starting point of what's called autonomy. We are big about the individual. We have individual rights. Therefore, we are much into self-sustaining and self-actualizing and self-controlling, which only breeds and feeds into our consumerist mindset that whatever we enter, it's about what do I get out of this or what do I get to do in this? Even that can be consumeristic. What's, what's my part? What do I get to do? What's in it for me? I'm telling you that much of the rest of the world does not operate from that viewpoint. So for us, it almost feels like this uphill, upstream battle that for us to wage war against that kind of thinking where it's not about me, it's about my brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers that together makes the church. Why is this such a big deal? Why is Paul talking to Timothy about this? Why is this a part of the blueprint? Well, I think Jesus answers that question to a big degree. In a passage in Mark chapter 10, it's a place where Peter has just said to Jesus, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. And this is Jesus' reply in Mark chapter 10, let's look at first verse 29. Here's how it reads. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or, now check out the language, brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel. Let's stop right there. When Jesus responds to what Peter says, Jesus assumes there are going to be things left behind when we follow him. He assumes that the decision to follow him sometimes is going to mean you lose something. And he knows that the costliest of those things you lose might be your family. Sometimes we see it happen in believers, especially in other parts of the world, when we, when we go on mission and we share the gospel and what that means for some of those folks, if they say yes to Jesus, they know that their families are going to turn their back on them. If they choose to follow Jesus, they know it means that their families are going to choose to walk away from them. Jesus knew sometimes that would be the case. And then sometimes it's the case that when you put your faith in Jesus and you have relationships with people, you suddenly realize, I cannot keep doing this this way with this person, right? I, I can't keep supporting what they're about. I can't keep interacting in this way. It's not that you want the friendship to end. It's just you, you can't trust them for your main point of wisdom anymore. There has to be a change in that relationship, and it can almost feel like you're walking away. Jesus knows that. And so I want you to listen to how he finishes this statement. He says, no one who leaves any of that to follow me will fail to receive a hundred times as much. 
And when we first read that, we go, that's right, because there's heaven. Right? But what's the next line? In this present age. No one who loses in order to follow me is going to fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Here's what I love about Jesus' promise. Jesus doesn't say, yep, you're gonna, th- there's going to be loss if you choose to follow me, but you just got to grit, grit your teeth. You, you just got to deal with it because one day heaven's coming. That's not what he says. He says, no, in this present age, whatever you have had to leave behind in order to follow me, you're going to receive far more in godly kind and greater measure. Whatever change you've had to go through in relationships, you're going to always feel a net increase because you're going to receive a hundred times more that you gave up in brothers and sisters and mothers and children. And my question is, how is, that per- how is that possible? How is it possible that if I follow Jesus and my family walked away from me, that I could still end up with a hundred times more brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers? And the answer is, the church the church. How can I end up with a hundred times more? It's because God's got a family and he makes me a part of that family. So whether it's someone from a, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a Muslim background, right? They, they choose to follow Jesus, their family turns their back on them. Or maybe it's someone who meets Jesus out of, out of the whole, you know, LGBT community. They choose to follow Jesus and then realize, you know what? Some things have to change. And suddenly a community, those who are closest to them, turn their back on them. What Jesus says, it's never a bad deal to follow him. Never. Well, what does that mean? It means our responsibility as the church is we get to be the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's all on us. Hopefully that's going to make sense as we keep talking. But he uses his church to bring that promise to fulfillment, to make sure that those who have left behind family receive far more, even in this life, than they left behind. It's supposed to be family. Be relational, he says. Do you see brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers when you see the church. But there's a second characteristic that Paul gives. Not just to be relational, but in that, be intentional. Be intentional. Now, I'm going to read the passage of Scripture to you in just a second, and it's, it's kind of a long passage, but I don't, want to, I don't want to skip it, so I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to be able to pick apart every phrase. You can do that this week. I challenge you to go home and, and study it in even greater detail, but let me set up what we're about to read. 
Paul's about to pick one particular group in the church at Ephesus. One particular group that in that day was slipping through the cracks. It was the widows. Now remember, we've talked about how women were seen in that first century and the battle for for value that existed where typically a woman's worth was tied to who she was connected to. Maybe your husband, maybe your children. But sometimes, suddenly, widows, when they had no one, they're undervalued, they're unappreciated. Remember in that day, there's no programs in place like Social Security. No funds are coming in from somewhere else. And so basically, in order to ensure that the widows were taken care of, sometimes the local church, like at Ephesus, would sort of like put them on the payroll. And they would support them when no one else could do so. That's the framework for what we're about to read. When Paul says, I want you to be intentional and be in family. Let's just read for a little bit. I think you'll see what I'm talking about. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. Give proper recognition. You, you, if, if you recognize something, you're being intentional with that, right? You, you are intentional. You recognize. You're showing honor. Be, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. His point is because not all of them are in need. Let's keep going. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. That's a good word for our culture. Our culture that's so individualistic That even at times, it just becomes about us and and the very people who have poured into our lives and given us life and, and, and given us hope. There is a biblical precedent for older children to take care of their parents as they age. Let's keep going. The widow who's really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God. And continues night and day to pray and to ask for God's help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. He's just talking about where's her heart really at here. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Woo! Just in case you didn't think Paul meant what he said. You don't love your own flesh and blood family in this way that you would take care of your parents? He goes, seriously? Even people without Jesus know that. Let's keep going. No widow may be put on the, what's the next word? List. That says intentional to me. You can't have a list without being intentional. Somebody's paying attention. Somebody's somebody's seeing. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, 
and is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Hmm. We got some prerequisites here to who gets on the list. Thus they bring judgment on themselves. As for younger widows, there we go. Do not put them on the list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. Paul's preaching now, isn't he? So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can, though, help. That's intentional. Help those widows who really are in need. Recognize, list, help. In other words, you look at that passage and you realize there is a biblical precedent for families to take care of families. But Paul says when they don't, then the church becomes a, take, becomes a part of taking care of those widows. Why? Because we're what? Family. We're family. And so he says, be intentional with it. This is not a handout. He makes it really clear. This is not about enabling people. This is not about just putting somebody on a payroll and, and just feeding them. No, he, he goes, look, there should be some character issues at play here. I, I think this goes beyond money. This sometimes goes to time and attention. I think this was the example of Ephesus in the first century. But I also think that the principle is much broader than that. The principle includes some of those children that Bailey told us about earlier, some of those kids specifically who are in China. Uh, we, we have some of our shelters where those kids, they get to go to school, um, they, they get to learn, they get to develop. Some of them are going to be engineers. I mean, they really, there are kids in our Project Nick shelters who are, who are going to grow up and they're going to do some incredible things in society. But y'all, many of those kids in China, they are what we would call here special needs kids. Most of them, they can't go to school. The fact that you help to feed them and clothe them is the reason that they have food and clothes. They are truly those that no one else is caring for and therefore the church cares. My point is that Paul's talking about widows because that, that was the, the, the main issue that was going on there in the church at Ephesus. But Paul's saying being family simply means that we intentionally put structures and ministries and programs in place because we don't want the family slipping through the cracks. So if our 
Muslim friends who are going to turn to Jesus are suddenly disowned by their families. And if our LGBT friends suddenly find themselves isolated from their communities and from their partners because now they have chosen to follow Jesus, if the dealers and, and, and the gangbangers, right, are called out of the streets, if the widows and the orphans and the, and the prisoners are supposed to find within the church a family, how do we do that for them? What is God calling us to be? What is God calling us to do? That whoever follows Jesus and finds themselves having to leave or lose relationships, how could it be said that they would say, yes, I have now experienced a hundred times that in family. I am fearful that many of us have become so comfortable with our Americanized, consumer-driven church model where we can simply drive through on a Sunday and get our make-me-happy meal. Then we leave, and we don't have to think anymore about the people who we sat beside for maybe an hour and a half, maybe 1.2 times per month. Because did you know that that is the new national average for how often Christians claim they go to church. 1.2 times per month. My question is, is that family? Does that sound like healthy family to you? And I'm saying even in our culture, even in our family. For a lot of people, that's the norm. Francis Chan raised the question, are we really going to settle for that? Let's be intentional. I'm saying let's cultivate something more, something deeper, something fuller, something beautiful, something that's true to what God has in mind for those who, who call themselves his followers. But that's not going to happen until we choose to be what we wish to see. It's my challenge for you. Be what you wish to see. And so I want to get just ridiculously practical here for the next few minutes. And just say that, come on, we can do better at being a family. We can. Don't get me wrong, there are some beautiful pieces to this family that exists. There are. There's some beautiful pieces. There's some, there's some relationships that I could parade before you to describe how, how these relationships are built and how, how, how significant they are and how people love each other. I could do that. But I'm saying as a whole, 
we can do this better as a family. So I'm just going to get ridiculously practical with some things that if we choose, we can change. Here's the first one. I I challenge you to, to attend when the church gathers. I don't know that I ever thought I would like have to preach that line to the church, but I want to encourage you to attend when the church gathers. Now, so much of what it means to be family is what happens outside this room, right? So much of what it means to be family is, is not just what happens within these walls, but, but come on, if we're going to see it change, the opportunity for some of that to begin to swing does happen within these walls. When, when we are together, there is an opportunity for, for some things to change. And so I want to encourage you to attend when the church gathers weekly, and I mean more than 1.2 times per month. We, we gather weekly on Sundays. And the other thing that we promote weekly is we, we encourage people to gather in life teams every week. So, so we come together for about an hour and a half here, and then we encourage people to get together during each week as a life team. Now, beyond that, yeah, we provide some, some opportunities for the church together. I mean, there's special uh, times that we gather, a, a 4th of July celebration, right? For, we celebrate all the baptisms, or, or maybe it's secret church, or, or it's our Christmas celebration, or it's, it's the chance to go to camp, or it's a, a flash mob, or it's prayer meeting, right? All kinds of opportunities for people to gather. And, and the truth of the matter is, and I'm not... I'm not I, I am not slamming you here, but I'm just saying some of you do not take advantage of any of those opportunities when the church comes together. If you just commit to gather each week for worship and for a life team, worship and for a life team, that's about three hours, give or take a little bit. Three hours of your week, right? About an hour and a half here. Depends on how long I go on and on and on and on, right? About an hour and a half here, about an, about an hour and a half in your life team. Three hours a week. If that was how your flesh and blood family operated, how much of a family would you be? If your family that lives in your house only saw each other for three hours a week, how healthy would you determine your family to be? Right? And, and maybe half of that three hours was everybody sits down and watches a movie, right? And so everybody's staring at the screen and you don't even actually have to talk to anybody because you're just all watching something. Could you really say that you possibly know your family? Would you really say that did you just build respect for your family? How could you do that if you don't even know them? Could you even say that you really love them if all you ever had was three hours a week? My point is maybe when we don't feel like family, it's because sometimes we're not acting like family. And that's not going to change until we make a change to be what you wish to see. If you want the friend, you got to be 
the friend, right? You want family. You got to be the family. Be what you wish to see. And so we're starting really simple here. It's just the commitment of saying, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there when the family gathers. I'm going to commit to each week we're going to worship together, and, and each week I'm, I'm at least committing to where we're going to spend some time as a life team. Now, I'm, I'm about to just go crazy here, all right? This is going to get crazy. You ready? Second, second commitment, not just, to, not just to be here. Here's the second one. Hold on to your seat, all right? What if you made the commitment to, let's say, just this gathering, just this gathering, to add 30 minutes to the front end of it and add, this is crazy, add 30 minutes to the back end of it. Jeff, are you saying what I think you're saying? Yes, I am. I, am, I have the crazy idea that what if you were intentional about showing up here 30 minutes before we start? 30 minutes before we start. Grab you a cup of coffee, because it's made. It was good and strong this morning. That was good stuff. That was good stuff. It, it was made. Grab you a cup of coffee. Find a spot somewhere in the room where there's some people. And meet your family. Meet your family. You know those people that you've been sitting in their section for four months and you're still not really sure what their name is and it's really awkward every week. When they look at you and you look at them and you're like, I, hi, find it out. 30 minutes. And then, intentionally, do not make plans for at least, I know this is crazy, I know, it just blows your mind. Do not make plans for at least 30 minutes after the, the conclusion of this gathering so that you can actually stick around and, and maybe make some connections with some folks. Conversations. Sometimes praying for each other. Jeff, that's like four extra hours a month. I know, I told you, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> For some of you, it's more than that because you've never gotten here at the time we start, right? You come in here about the, it's about the second song every week, right? It's like, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. No, I, actually, I, I think I should. Because come on, are we going to be family or not? Jeff, it's starting to sound kind of legalistic. No, this is, this is, I'm not being legalistic. I'm being realistic about what it takes to be a family. This isn't legalism about what makes you right with God. I'm not saying you got to come to church so many times so that God will finally love you. No, I'm saying God loves you, period. And because he does, come on, you get to be a part of a family. And do you realize what a blessing this is? To even say, would you consider 30 minutes early and 30 minutes after just so that we could be a little more like the family? That's not legalism. That's just realism about what it takes to love each other. Let's keep going. Since I got you, I'm just going to keep going. How about when you show up here? And again, being a family is far outside this room. So how about when you show up here? You show up here on any given gathering with two time slots in your brain 
that you know you have free this week. Now, the reason you know they're free is because you've been intentional about making sure that you got them free. So I'm saying, look, this might be, I know that I got lunch on Tuesday, that's free, and I know that Thursday evening, uh, free. And you come here intentionally with two time slots in your mind so that when you're here 30 minutes early and you're 30 minutes late, your goal is to connect with at least a couple of people or, or you know, a couple of families or whatever that looks like to be able to say to them, hey, how about, how about we just, you want to have lunch on Tuesday? You want, you want to grab a, grab a coffee? Hey, w- would you guys come have dinner with us on Thursday? Because you got two time slots that you know are free, and you're going to be intentional about just inviting somebody to be a part of that. You say, that is all I need, Jeff, is two more things that I got to do. That is all I need in my busy schedule is two more things that I got to fill. Well, that's why I'm giving you a fourth, and it's the last, because I know you can only handle so much, all right? So you're committing, you're committing to being a part. You're committing to 30 minutes early and at least 30 minutes after. You're committing to show up in that time frame with two time slots that you know you got free so that, so that you could invite people to connect. And this is why the fourth one. Just invite people to do some of what you're already doing. You don't have to come up with new stuff. You don't. Some of you, at least sometime during the week, have dinner. Just invite them to dinner. You're already having it. Couple more hot dogs on the grill, right? Just invite them to dinner, right? So, some of you, like, one of the things that I'm working on it again, exercise. Invite somebody into that. Hey, you want to walk with me? Hey, hey you want to, you know, whatever. It is. I'm saying something that you already do, do. Invite them into that. Hey, wait a minute. Yard work. Okay, maybe not. Got to be careful that you don't get selfish with that, right? Hey, you want to come over and help me with the yard work? Nah, that's probably not, probably not a good example. But you get the point. Something you're already doing. Instead of trying to be a family with everybody all at once, just pick one, pick two, and be for the one what you wish you could be for all. And if we do that together, you will be amazed at how the multiplication process happens. If each of us did that, no one would be left feeling alone. But the truth is, sometimes people do feel alone. So this week's assignment is will you ask God to put on your heart one person from your church, one person from your family, and choose to be for them what you wish you could be for everyone. There's one more reason that I challenge you to be what you wish to see. It's because we are often quick to wait for others to take the first step. Don't do that. You become the one to initiate. You take the first step. I want to challenge you to stop complaining about what we're not as a family, and start being what you want to see as a family. Now, I'm just bringing back last week. Anybody remember last week? Grumbling comes from unrecognized entitlement. Why would I ever come to church and then grumble about what kind of family we're not? 
because I think I'm entitled for you to treat me in such a way. I show up here, you should treat me a certain way, I should be, I should be welcomed, this is, it's, it's unrecognized entitlement, this is what I deserve, versus gratitude that comes from recognized grace. Who am I to even be in the family of God? How did I get here? Grace, undeserved, unearned, so to get to be a part of such a family, how quick we are to grumble about not feeling like family. That is a consumerist mindset, but the family is built from people who choose to sacrifice themselves for one another. You want people meeting together? Then meet new people. You want people hanging out? Then send out the invites. And I realize some of you are like, that's not, that's not my personality, Jeff. I get that. I get that. Being in crowds of people and even meeting new people on a regular basis, that does not energize me. I am confessing to you. I have to recover from that. I do. It's not because, I, it's just, it's that, it's, it is some of that, um, internal, external stuff that goes on in each of us, how, we've, how we're charged differently. Some of you, it's in crowds of people. Some, it, it's not. I, I work at that. But there's a reason I work at it. It's because I want to be what I wish to see. And did you hear what Jesus promised? And it's because I've seen Jesus do first to me. So the power behind being able to be what you wish to see is to be what we have first seen Jesus do. Jesus is relational. He calls me his friend. He calls me brother. He calls you sister. He calls us his family. He is relational. He is intentional. How intentional. He puts on flesh and blood, moves into the neighborhood. Why? Because he sees the isolation. He sees the loneliness. He sees the worry. He sees the separation and death. And he says, I'm going to do something about it. And he chose to be what he did not see. And when we see how we have been loved, then we will love. And when we love, then we will risk. And we will invest. And in those moments that you experience rejection when you try to do so, come on, you will. You try to love people, there are going to be some times that rejection is involved. What do I do? I look at Jesus. And in 1 Peter, right, he, he says, Jesus suffered for us, leaving us an example that we might follow in his steps. Sometimes it's going to happen. He tells us in Hebrews 12 to fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And then in verse 3, he, he says, consider him who endured such sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Sometimes there's going to be rejection. But come on, Jesus goes before us. Jesus is in the middle of all this. It is his blood that binds us together as a family, not our own. And if such relationships would cost him, then I'll bet you sometimes relationships are going to cost us. There is a cost, but there's a cost that's worse than not risking. And that's where I'm going to leave you today and just read a quote. It's a quote by C.S. Lewis in a work called The Four Loves. And this is how Lewis puts it. 
There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Oh my goodness, is that our world. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and anxieties of love is hell. It's risky. But it's worth it. Let's pray. God, it is because of grace. Your grace. You choosing to love us when we are not lovable. You choosing to pursue us when we chose to run other directions. Your grace, God, that has been poured out into our lives, you who were willing to die for our wrong. Grace that enables us to be your family. So God, I thank you for those beautiful pieces of this family called Heart of Life. I thank you for those healthy friendships, relationships that really do exist. God, they're here. I, I see them often. God, people who truly do sacrifice for one another. God, people who, who truly do find in friendships here, God, the closest thing to family anywhere they can find. God, I thank you for those beautiful pictures. I thank you for the folks who love that way. But God, we are declaring today that we want to do this better. God, we want to do this better believing that there is more to this picture of who we can be as a family. God, not because we can somehow make this work, but, but because when we see your work, your grace in our life, God, I'm asking you to help us. God, that we would be willing to swim upstream against this culture that says it needs to be about us. God, that we come here to get something for us. God, I'm asking you to help us to see with eyes like yours. God, that we would be ready to love, to give, to forgive 
God, the things we've talked about this morning are just crazy practical. God, some simple things of just being here of, God, 30 extra minutes, a, a few a few time slots in our week, God, but I'm asking that you would start with those simple things. God, to grow us into something here that no words and no programs, God, nothing on paper would explain. God, would you make us a family? A family that loves like we have been loved by you. God, I pray for those who are here today that maybe need for the first time to put their trust in you. God, give them eyes that can see and give them faith to believe. God, that you make them a part of this family. No matter what they would have to walk away from, it is a hundred times better to choose you. Lord, I pray for healing across this room, for families that really are broken, for relationships that really do need healing. God, I ask the power of your spirit, you would convict. God, you would not let us rest until our heart settles where it needs to settle. God, will you make us a family? that is for real. It's in the name of Jesus I ask it. Amen.